Welcome to the smart community. Smart region, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Smart Community friends. It's me, Zoe, here. I'm back from my Churchill Fellowship World Tour, so you'll start hearing my voice again a little bit more at the start of regular podcast episodes. Thank you so much to Ellen, who took over the mic while I was away. Now, I will be doing an episode sharing the key takeaways from my trip. That will come in time, but at the moment, if you want to hear the updates from each city I visited, you can head over to possible.com and check out my special podcast series only available for supporters. So far, I've covered a range of themes, including growth, data sharing, community trust, and in the latest episode, I share the ingredients needed for smart mobility. In each episode, I also share what I've learned from the various people and organizations I've met with in different places along the way. So far, I've covered San Francisco, Mexico City, Toronto, Denver, Orlando, London, and Dublin, and coming soon, my visits to Amsterdam, Barcelona, South Africa, and South Korea. So if you can't wait to hear how my trip went and all the things I've learned along the way, go to possible.com and search My Smart Community. You can hit support there and get access to this special podcast series. Now, in this episode, we'll be doing things a little bit differently. Throughout this year, I have been interviewing guests, obviously, and I've asked them all an extra question, which you don't hear on the normal episode. This question was, where to next for smart cities and communities? Now, this question was edited out of the regular episodes, so today you're going to hear an amalgamation of a few of the answers from this year's guests. The theme of this episode is around the need for decision-making and action on climate change. And we'll hear from Don McLean from IES Scotland in episode 102, Mark Thomas from Service Works Group, currently based in New Zealand, episode 111, Lisa McLean from Open Cities Alliance in Australia from episode 105, Ricardo Van Luden from B Buildings Business Group in Amsterdam from episode 104, And finally, Chung Ha Cha from the Reimagining Cities Foundation based in Korea. And he was from episode 110. And it was really fun to meet Chung Ha while I was in Korea on my Churchill Fellowship. Now, going back to what I asked people, where to next for smart cities and communities, I really wanted to see what people were thinking about the future in this space. Because we're all talking about what things are happening now. And yes, we talked about emerging trends. But I also wanted to just see what people's thoughts were the next step in this space. You know, so many different backgrounds, but there was some underlying themes that we could group around. So as I just mentioned, the theme for this one, really about climate change. So all the guests agree that we need some urgent action and we need to think not just about what's happening right now, but think more about the long term making decisions now that may not benefit people right now, but it will be beneficial in the long term. So I really hope you enjoy this little episode. So a reminder again about the voices you're about to hear. We've got Don McLean, Mark Thomas, Lisa McLean, Ricardo Van Lunen, and Chang Ha Cha. And we'll put the link for each of the episodes in the show notes so you can go back and enjoy. And as always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode 
as much as we enjoyed making it. Where to next for smart communities? This is where I get I'm, you know, pretty depressive um, from that perspective because the kind of thing I mentioned earlier, you know, um, currently the CO2 levels are about 410 parts per million. And the kind of the target people have got is saying 450 is the limit. Now, we're currently increasing carbon emissions by 2.5 parts per million per year. So on that kind of basis, we're only 16 years away. So 2035, we reach 450 parts per million. Now, we've either got to dramatically change things um, to slow up our carbon emissions, and, and I can't see that happening. Uh, or alternatively, you know, it may well increase for a variety of different reasons, particularly if some things accelerate, you know, you know some of the, the trigger points that might happen. And as a consequence of that, you know, we, we could have real problems. So I think that the politicians um, have a lot in their plate. This is something they don't fully understand, and therefore it's something that they would kind of ignore to some extent. And the other problem is that, that a lot of let's say organizations, governments, you know, realize that if they make a big commitment to this and do this first, the problem is is, is that they will not be able to, um, well, they'll, they'll put themselves into potentially a, an economic and a penalty by making all of this, uh, you know, sort of happen um, from that sort of thing. They will not be able to manage what they're doing. Now, the, the situation here is that this is a political problem to some extent. And, and society's got to do something about it. So, you know, things like the little girl in Sweden who has um, uh, stayed off school to, to campaign outside the, the government buildings. You know, they, I, I think this is something with which the, the under 25s of this world have got to wake up and realise that if as nothing's been done, as it's taken a long time to do anything, then to make smart communities, they need to stand up and they need to vote in a way that would actually, um, and try and vote in a way for the people that are going to do something about climate change and, and realise the importance of that. But, you know, to do all of that, people need the, the tools to do that effectively. They need to be able to um, have the, the the information with which to make the right decisions. And this is where, you know, I mentioned the kind of the bottom-up approach. This is where our technology comes in. This new technology allows us to assist people to make the right decisions um, other community and collectively with a number of other communities and so on and so forth, in order then that they can then start to make the better decisions about their communities and how they can become much more effective. This is where we come in, but, but we're a bottom-up approach. And the thing is that what we need to do is, is have that kind of pincer movement so, so we can have the bottom-up approach, but also governments have got to start to, to respond. And it may be that we need the youth of today to take the action to vote in a way that helps them not have the burden of climate change, which them, their children, their grandchildren will probably be suffering from uh, if we don't do something about it. Where to next for smart cities and communities? Um, I mean, I think one challenge will be coping with the pace of change. So 5G is already emerging. Early advanced AI is emerging. And of course, most cities aren't even close to kind of coping with the existing <laughs> sort of suite of, of Australia and New Zealand Smart City Council recommended tools. So, so that's definitely an issue. And I find that as I go around, you know, cities are uh, sometimes reluctant to make decisions because they're waiting for the next big thing. And so I think we've got to have people who are able to kind of help manage that, that issue, manage that concern. 
I mean, the other big thing is, as I've mentioned, is getting leaders in place who can kind of balance this legacy issue with the future. I worry that my government is so weighed down with the legacy problems that they're inhibiting kind of innovation and, and future investment. So I think you've got the technology challenge for smart cities, which is right in front of us as we're roughly halfway through this fourth aid, halfway through the start of it. And then you've got to be able to make the most of those. You've got to be able to, I think, be clear-sighted about you know, balancing spending on legacy and spending on the future. So where to next for smart communities? I think that we've got to, got to gather really and just start to create so we're not just sort of isolated. I think we all need to join up together and create state and national market settings that are going to really promote our local communities' ability to be self-sufficient. And we're starting to see a change in planning thinking and New Zealand's really a leader here where they've given legal rights, the rights of a person to a river. And I think we need to start to see those rights in planning for natural biodiversity um, and that's going to make promote better, smarter, more sustainable infrastructure and service solutions at a local level because we won't just be putting in bitumen everywhere and car parks everywhere and cutting down trees. We'll be really starting to look at corridors for our insects even because they're, some of those insects are starting to get talked about on the extinction path. So with Heat Island really impacting Australia, and we've all seen it particularly this summer and the last decades, our local communities need to be more resilient. So they need more trees, they need more water, and they need more support for the natural biodiversity of each area. And where that's been depleted, it needs to be brought back. So I really hope that Smart Cities Movement gets enshrined in legislation through opening our markets to new and sustainable business models and also protections for for our natural biodiversity to protect our communities for the future. Where to next for smart cities and communities? Where to next? I think you uh, cities will have to make more progress by uh, make it uh, seeing it as a real problem and not something that somebody needs to fix in the future and uh, making like far bigger projects work. It's like the whole thing that's now going on in California where Trump is taking away funding for the high speed line between San Francisco and LA. That's putting us back instead of pushing us forward. So as long as there is still a lot of discussion of where it needs to go or how important it is, I don't see a lot of progress. I don't, I only see like a lot of pilots and innovators that want to prove that their technology works. I think the real progress will come within smart cities if people recognize that you have to deal the problems of the future in a big way. And not by putting like Wi-Fi in a city and, and saying that you're a smart city. Where to next for smart cities and communities? I don't know. I follow you. I mean, I think we talked about this a lot already, which is this urgent issue of addressing climate change through technology, data, making sense of you know the current infrastructure we have, utilizing it better, lowering our you know emissions, but it being attractive enough that we've got super cool hip tech people involved and super cool people with money involved so that we can actually make a real good go of it, I guess. 
you know, where I see next is I, I do believe it's urgent. It's very urgent. Where to next? Like I said before, getting shovels in the ground. The investors will say, hey, Cha, that's a really, really good idea. Where has it been done before, right? And that's when it's really hard to come up with a great example. Now, we can talk about Copenhagen, Amsterdam, or Helsinki, Oslo, uh, Boston, Austin, Texas, Sydney, Adelaide, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a little bit too vague for these money guys. But if I say, oh, yeah, Lakeview in Toronto, you know, later on, I think that's going to be one of, I'm hoping that the financial returns will come out well enough so that that could be like a showcase project. It's going to turn out to be a $6 billion project. The owner, developers, they bought the land already for $275 million. So they've secured the land and it's the talk of the town. And the citizens, they want smarter and greener in there. And we're going to try to see what bundle of technologies we can get in there so that we can still achieve attractive investment returns, right? And if we're successful in that, to go beyond lead platinum or these things that these building certification things that I personally do not like. But if we can prove that it can be really, really smart and green and it's still attractive investment returns, I think that would open the floodgates of private capital rushing to say, I want to invest my money in something like that as well. So I hope you enjoyed those little snippets from these five guests. So Don spoke about, well, he was a little bit depressive, but that's okay. We'll forgive him for that because we really need this urgent change. And he talks about empowering the youth or the young people to really speak with votes and in the smart community sense, using the tools and the information and technology that we have available to really have our voices heard, which I really liked. And then you heard from Mark Thomas. And what I liked about his little snippet was this acknowledgement that we're all coping with this fast moving change and that there's a, a real balancing act for leaders to balance the spend on legacy systems versus moving into the new, which I think is a really important point that we need to talk about a lot more about what these legacy systems have kind of holding us back for and how we kind of balance that with moving into the future when it's something we have to deal with. Then you heard from Lisa and I really liked how she spoke about joining together and kind of promoting the community outcomes and benefits and then also talked about the giving rights or human rights, it would seem, to kind of natural resources and biodiversity and that being smart actually is just a, a sexier way to being more sustainable and really looking at some of the issues we have to make our communities more resilient and really focusing on that. So I really enjoyed that. And then we moved to Ricardo and he really talked about that in order to progress, we really need to stop talking about whether it is or isn't a problem, but actually recognizing how important this smart communities movement 
is or this smart communities concept is. And then that's the only way that we're going to be able to solve real problems now and progress forward into the future, which I think is a really key issue because right now some of those decisions need to be made. And if we don't have leadership on board, then things will go backwards. And then we finished on Chang Ha Cha and we talked about, well, I think I spoke a lot um, about what I thought, um, you know, about tech and data and utilizing our assets more appropriately. And he really wants to see shovels in the ground. So then we can have, you know, those real examples and showcase what it is and what it isn't. And then he also talked about the need and what we need to be able to do to attract that private capital so then we can move forward in this space. So I really hope you enjoyed this little episode. Um, it's a bit of a different one, so really keen to hear your thoughts. We'll be going back to the normal schedule for next week, uh, so look out for that one. And as always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. 